This is the 200 Churches Podcast, Season 3, Episode 2. I also have friend groups that are outside of ministry, that have no connection to ministry whatsoever. And, and I think that's important as well, that we don't just stick our proverbial head in the sand of being surrounded by only people who think the same way I do or do the same type of thing I do. Now, that's a good thing to have, but it's also good to have the perspective and the friendship and the connection with folks who have nothing to do with the church. Hey again, welcome my friend to the 200 Churches Podcast. Just before we get into today's episode, I want to let you know that if you're new to the 200 Churches Podcast, my former colleague in ministry, uh, we are now in different churches, but Johnny Craig and I, we started this podcast in January of 2013 with the mission of providing ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. And it was nine years ago this month that we started doing that. We have had people like Carrie Newhoff, Walter Brueggemann, Mandy Smith, Scott McKnight, N.T. Wright, Gary McIntosh, Leonard Sweet, Dan Ryland, Kay Warren, so many more. So many regular, normal, unknown pastors, Christian workers, missionaries, uh, seminary profs, authors. We just have so many great episodes. And I, I was scrolling through the over 350 episodes thinking, okay, which episode can I can I encourage people to listen to if they wanted to just go back and really hit a good one? There's so, so many good ones. Episode 288, How and Why to Have Crucial Conversations. Oh my goodness. Johnny and our guest Pam Dykstra talk about how and why to have crucial conversations. It's just the two of them, and it is flawless and so helpful when you're thinking about how to have conversations with your staff, how to have conversations with your board members, how to have conversations with church people, church members, community people. So, so, so important. So check it out. Episode 288 of the 200 Churches Podcast. Now let's get on to today's episode. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I am here with a special guest tonight. Johnny, Johnny's in a wonk tonight. He he wouldn't even reply to me. I, I don't know what's going on with Johnny. If you're new to this podcast, Johnny Craig and I are uh, co-hosts of the 200 Churches Podcast, and uh, he's not around. So I have dipped into the guest barrel, and out of my ladle came Scott Dalen, uh, Scott will introduce himself in a minute, but tonight he holds the Johnny Craig Chair of Podcasting, the esteemed Johnny Craig Chair of Podcasting, as a special guest. Scott, say hello. Hey, everybody. It is great to be back to be here across the digital desk, as Johnny and I have called it in the past, to uh, spend this time with you, Jeff, and to uh, hopefully hold up his high, his high podcast chair standards. That's always my goal. At least a high voice, right? Yes, at least the high voice. <laughs> hey, this is season three, Scott, episode two. Uh, we took literally eight months off of podcasting and just rolled back into it last week. And so this is season three, episode two. And I'm so glad you're on because I was telling you, we, we started nine years ago this month. And nine years ago, you... Uh, you you were on early on, I don't know what year, but I would say probably 15, 
maybe 15, 16, somewhere in there, it's somewhere been, around there. It, it, and you still yep, serve in the same years. church. I am still in the same church. I have been serving uh, Underwood Lutheran. We're a ELCA congregation, one of the branches of the Lutheran Church. Uh, I have been here since the middle of 2013. So right about the time that you and Johnny were starting 200 churches in the first place was when I finished up seminary and was ordained and was called to this church. And I am still here now pushing nine years later. So uh, apparently longevity is in my genes. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, and we still we want to provide ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. That's been our shtick for nine years now, and I can't think of a better thing to do than provide ministry encouragement. I always tell people that encouragement really is the oxygen of the soul. And when people don't get encouragement, man, they just, they shrivel up. And I'm happy to say that nine years later, small church pastors, I think, get a lot more encouragement, and the small church gets a lot more respect in the ministry world than it did nine years ago. Do you, do you agree with that, Scott? I absolutely agree. I, for, you know, for such a long time, everything that we would hear or that we would read or every anecdote or every article or whatever was always about the big wicks, all about the, the great big ones. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with those large, big, big, big churches, those mega churches. Uh, they, they, they serve a need. They serve a, a type of faith community. And for some, that's what they're attracted to. And that's where they feel spiritually fed. And, and that's a great thing. But, the data is very, very clear that the vast majority of, of congregations, of faith communities, whatever you want to call them, are small, are, are 200 or less. You know, you always say give or take 100 or two. Well, yeah, if you take 200, yeah. you give or take 200, that would be zero, which would yeah, be really exactly. small. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so almost all the faith communities out there are, are small-ish, and uh, and, and and that's not a bad thing. That's something to be recognized and and celebrated within you know within the context of those of those communities. So in the past two years now, with what our country has gone through, with the what the world has gone through, ministry has taken some. Uh, I think of those loop de loop airplanes. You know that they they go you know loop after loop after loop after curve after turn after dive. That's what I feel like we've been through, these biplanes at some wacky plane show with all different colors smoke coming out of the back of them. And depending on which church, you know, it, it is, it's whatever color smoke is coming out the back of the pastor's head. But it's just been crazy. It's been really crazy. Do you think, do you think it's been harder for pastors of mid-size and larger churches, or do you think it's been harder for pastors of smaller churches, given what we've experienced? Well, I, you know, I can only speak to, to my own experience and, and what I see, you know, within, within the, the circles that I run in. Um, you know, over the course of the last four years, I've been serving in what my denomination calls a synod. You know, it's kind of a geographic region. And uh, I've been serving on, on the council of, of the, what we call the Western Iowa Synod, kind of the Western third of, of, of Iowa. And so I'm connected through that with a lot of different sized congregations, uh, some very, very small um, you know, to where, you know, it might be 
10 or 15 people on a Sunday up to the largest one in within within our synod is about 1800 members. So, you know, a, a pretty good sized congregation, not a mega church by any means, but but larger. And from from what I've heard from people and from what I've experienced myself and from from conversations that I've had, I think it's been harder for those smaller churches simply because of the availability of resources. And and you know when I say resources, I mean both financial resources and I mean um, personnel resources and you know the people as well as as the uh, the availability of things of tools for them to use. And you know in my situation, things really narrowed down for for a pretty healthy period of time here, especially during you know early 2020 and and through that first year of the pandemic where I was kind of doing a lot of what was available by myself and had to learn uh, a lot of a lot of new techniques, a lot of new options, a lot of new things on the fly. And I think that pressure was on a lot of people and and some people were better suited for it than others. Some, some folks in ministry mm, and some yeah. congregations. So, so yeah, definitely. I would say the smaller congregations probably had that a little harder. What do you think the larger churches, how, how would they have felt it? differently than maybe a small church. And I, I know you're not in a larger church. You, I just wondered what your opinion is having, because you're, you're a pretty analytical guy. And, uh, what, you know, what do you think about these, the larger churches? What did they, what did they suffer and had to deal with that, that maybe the small churches didn't? Um, the, the, I wonder if their, their in-person activity was maybe the most, um, most apparent, uh, casualty. Yeah, at least here in in Iowa and, and around the country, really, um, in the early days, pretty much everything shut down. You know, we had the essential things that were still happening, but but a lot of things just kind of went on hold, and uh, that it that included churches and that included you know a lot of different types of organizations. Perhaps those those larger congregations that maybe already had a very active, engaged online presence because. You know, some congregations or some some churches had that ahead of time. Uh, maybe they would have seen a, a, a large shift that direction. While us little guys were struggling to try and set all that up, maybe they already had that going on. But um, but you know, then you also get into the the idea of of limits on crowd size and and distance and and how many people can be available and so maybe they had these great big huge uh facilities that were barely getting utilized and and so you begin to run into the the logistics of of that kind of budgetary administration type yeah, i mean you're hitting those things that large churches had to deal with for for us we're we're not real large we're a church of about 500 and but we had a big enough room that we could keep our multiple services and put a cap on the size of the number of people that showed up and have a lot of room for people to spread out. So what we previously felt was a detriment. There was like this big room that we had to try to fill. All of a sudden, it was really nice. You felt very safe walking in and you had some chairs for your family here and there weren't any other chairs within, within six feet. And I think 2020, there were a lot of resources being thrown around uh, by church people as well as the government and the states, and people weren't really feeling the resource pinch, and I don't think a lot of churches were in 2020, but 
as things went on and you got into 2021 and things started to dry up, people started to, you know, decide where they were going to land or not land. I think that the churches that experienced difficulty, 2021 was a, almost a rougher year in that way for people in terms of uh, volunteerism and, and people hours and uh, people resources, human resources, uh, as well as, as finances. But I'll let you get the last word on this topic, and then we're moving right on from this topic if you got anything to add about it. Well, I think I think you really kind of nailed it there when, as you talked about, uh, twenty twenty versus twenty one. Um, you know, twenty was that was really the year of the pandemic when, at least here in our corner of the country, uh, things really kind of came to a grinding halt, and and we had to we had to do things completely new and so out of the ordinary. And then as things kind of cooled off through twenty one, then it was trying to find. What's the new normal and and how close can we get to pre-pandemic normal? And can we work our way back to that? And in a lot of ways, at least here in Underwood, we got pretty close. Um, we're, you know, our, our in-person attendance is about 75% of what it what it had been. Uh, for, for the most part, things feel fairly normal, but of course, you know, we're all listening to the news and and trying to pay attention to to uh, uh, keep people safe and 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 yet you know the resources are out there for for folks to be um, you know they can be vaccinated and they can wear masks and we can all do that to try and care for each other yeah. so so we see that 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 sense of normalcy returning but at the same time the bumps of finding okay well this we're we're not going to resume that that type of thing's not going to happen and and um, getting everyone on that same page has been a has been a struggle. I have watched and listened to as little news as I ever have in my life, probably in the last six months, just because it is unhealthy for my heart and my brain <laughs> and my personal interaction. So uh, I just haven't. We could we could talk all day about that, but again, I, man, I don't think I don't want to hear about that stuff so much anymore. But I was curious with you, and and you and I caught up a little bit on that before we pushed record. But last week, I talked about a, a research study that was done on the needs of pastors. And we talked last week about this this need for for more and more consistent personal prayer. And if you want to know what I said about that, you'd have to go back to season three, episode one. Um, but I have some definite thoughts about that. I think... I think that uh, there's a, there's too much guilt going on by believers who've been forgiven in Christ, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but this week, I wanted to talk to you about these these other two personal needs that pastors listed as the greatest personal needs after prayer. Was the first one was friendships and fellowship with others, and the second one was relationships with other pastors. So. These were the top listed things, personal things. The pastors say, yeah, I, I really need better friendships. I really need more fellowship with others. Uh, I, I really need deeper and closer relationships with other pastors. And as you and I talked about that, you said what, Scott? Well, I said that, interestingly enough, is not really a concern for me personally. I feel very, very blessed and very fortunate to have a really great colleague group 
that I am a part of with uh, almost entirely uh, um, pastors that are part of my denomination. Uh, we do have a few folks that kind of trickle in uh, that are that are from different uh, different denominational backgrounds, which is great. We always appreciate their their different insight that they bring. But um, but I've been very very fortunate. Uh, from almost the first instant I came to Underwood, within about the first two weeks, I started to reach out to some of the other local uh, ELCA pastors, and um, I thought, you know, we'll keep it on brand to start with, as we, uh, as I started to make connections, and and um, found this group, and and was very very. Uh, fortunate to have uh, one fellow pastor. He's actually he's he's still in the same congregation where he was at that time when I started, and uh, and he's very intentional about extending those invitations and uh, bringing new folks into that group. Um, and I think we all recognize the ease to just stay in your office to just kind of burrow yourself in and maybe you justify it by saying, oh, I've got so much reading to do or I've got so much writing to do and I've got to get preparation done for the weekend and I have this class to get ready. And so we just kind of hunker down and um, and maybe we do it without realizing it or maybe we do it intentionally. But I think that that temptation is always there. Admittedly, during 2020, I kind of fell in that trap when we were all supposed to stay home. I stayed in my office a lot. But uh, but now as we've kind of moved back into a sense of normalcy, uh, um, I've gotten back in with that that colleague group. And it's just a wonderful thing. You know, we 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 do community uh, ministry together. We do services together. In fact, just about a month ago, we the group of us did a did a service together right before Christmas. And and uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful way to um, be with like-minded people and, who understand the, the, the pressures and the stress that come with working in ministry. You know, all careers have their stress. And, and I don't want to say that pastors have, our, ha- have the, the corner market on that. But, sure, but to have, yeah. to have that, uh, th- those types of people who understand the same things that you do is just a wonderful thing. And, and I think a very, very important uh, aspect of thriving in ministry is having like-minded folks that you interact so, with. So let me ask you, what, as, as assessments go, what kind of a personality have you assessed with? What comes out when you go through an assessment? Are you introvert, extrovert? Uh, you know, where where are you at? Um, I have l- always considered myself an extrovert, and when I have done that particular test, uh, which is that the Myers Briggs, I forget what that one. Oh, called, there's all but, kinds of them now. So, uh, but but that one reads me as being extroverted, but at the same time. As I've been in ministry longer, maybe it's being in ministry, maybe it's just that I've gone from being young to now being middle-aged, that I'm not as extroverted as I used to be. I definitely have some more introverted tendencies. Uh, In fact, today is Tuesday as we're recording this. Yesterday was Monday. Monday is my day off, and I want everyone to just go away and let me hide in my cave um, and and recharge that way. But but I do still enjoy interactions with people. Um, I, I think the extrovert is definitely still there uh, once I get recharged and, and uh, to be able to, to do that with, whether it's colleagues or whether it's, it's people in the community or people from the congregation, I, I do just enjoy people and, and that, spending that time with them. So, so you're connected with pastors who are within your denomination and 
they meet, you said they meet weekly or monthly? We do. We do. We typically meet weekly. Uh, we okay. have a, uh, the group that we, we center around, it's called a text study. Um, you know, the very first time I was, I was on an episode, you and I talked about the, the lectionary, which the lectionary. Dictates, yeah. Yep. Which dictates the, the scripture passages that, that, uh, that I will, um, that I will focus on and that I will preach on for, for the weekend. And, um, all of our, our congregations follow that same lectionary. So we Is all it come two together. year or three year. It's a three-year one. There's also a four-year one, um, but but I've never played around with that one. I've just stuck with this. With so you're this one. so you're in your third. You're in your third go around of. This. I am in my third lap now. Yes, uh, through through the lectionary. So uh, and they're they're the same scriptures. There are the each same cycle. Script. Yep, each cycle they're the same. Uh, now there are four assigned passages every week. That's what's okay. usually an Old Testament. Usually, like one of the epistles, um, an assigned psalm, and then an assigned gospel text. You know that that gets mixed up every once in a while, but that's basically the breakdown. And, and, and they're connected. Years, yep, they're connected. Uh, there's usually a theme that runs through them, and then every every three years, the whole process starts over, and we're we're back to the, the back to the same text again. So. I heard this, and I think it's so true because I've experienced so many different times. You go back to the same text, but three years later, you're different. Yes. And that text flows through you differently. Yes. And you teach it differently. You've maybe learned some things about that Mm -hmm. uh, in the past three years. And do you feel like, do you have any sense at all? Because actually, I've done... I'm a little more knowledgeable on the lectionary and this this whole idea of of having liturgy and having a plan and having a church year. Uh, and, and what do they call it? What's the term for you know going through the year with all the different themes? Is there a term for that? Well, they, the, I call it the liturgical calendar. Okay, uh, the liturgical calendar. There's yeah. like there's a there is a there is a method behind the madness, right? Mm-hmm. There's a very definite purpose of taking people through uh, uh, the experience of Scripture and through the significant events, similar to in the Old Testament when God had all the special days and weeks and mm-hmm. festivals and feasts to remind people yep. of the things that are important. And that's what uh, the liturgical year does and the and the liturgical calendar does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've learned a little bit about that. But what, have you ever even had the sense that Oh man, I we just went over this three years ago, and I'm not that excited about it. I mean, honestly, have you ever like approached it and like uh, I don't really want to do this again? Um, yes, uh, with a fair bit of regularity, actually. Oh, um, really, really? Which, which that's why I'm I appreciate that there are four different assigned passages every week because there are times when I look, you know, predominantly I preach from the gospel, whatever the assigned gospel text is, that's the one I stick with. But every once in a while, I'll read that. And I'm like, you know what, either because of current events or because of my Uh, own sensibility or things that are going on in the, within the community or whatever, I'm like, that just doesn't work. And maybe the the Holy Spirit is 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 shoving me in the direction of one of the other passages. And and full disclosure, that's happening this week. Um, 
as <gasps> uh, yeah, we didn't plan this, folks. We did not plan this. This is just this is happening. This is a spirit moment. Johnny would be so happy he would make a sign of a halo over his head or something. I don't know. But but um, what's interesting about the the assigned gospel text this this week? It picks up directly where last Sunday's left off, and it's Jesus' first time preaching in his home synagogue when he mm. reads from the prophet Isaiah, and everything he reads sounds really great. And everybody in his home congrega- or congregation, in his home synagogue, is like, this is so wonderful. This is great. And then he kind of turns the tables, and they get really mad at him. And... Um, and last week, knowing what what follows in, in the larger story, I kind of went into that already. And I thought, people don't need to hear that two weeks in a row. And also, this Sunday happens to be the annual meeting of my congregation when we do our annual business meeting. And it's, oh, it's so happy and joyful. And so wonderful. John 13. John 13 <laughs> is where we need to go then. Well, maybe. <laughs> but what I'm actually going with, one of the other assigned texts is... First uh, Corinthians 13, prominently oh, featured in so many weddings. Love is patient. Love is yeah. kind. And, you know, sometimes, even though we're a faith community, sometimes we butt heads with each other and we need to remember that we love each other, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, you know, Johnny and I have talked about that for years. I don't even think of First Corinthians 13 anymore as a wedding chapter. Yeah. Like now that you mentioned, I haven't really thought about this. But I haven't thought about it in that way in a number of years now because it, it is such a powerful chapter on what Jesus talks about in John 13, you know, what Matthew talks about, and Jesus talks about in Matthew 22, um, and what Paul talks about in Romans uh, uh, 13. Uh, I think it's, what, 9 through 13, something like that, uh, 10 through 12, whatever it is, love. And John 13, love. And it's like the first thing that believers jettison out the window when something goes wrong, and it's the only command that Jesus says, hey, this is the command that I want you to keep. So 1 Corinthians 13, beautiful, perfect. You ought to have, you ought to have people have to, in order to get in to the annual business meeting, you have to recite like eight verses from 1 Corinthians 13, the first eight or 10 verses, or else you don't get in. I might have to give him a cheat sheet, though. We have to have a quorum, and if we don't have enough people, we can't do the business, which means we have to reschedule it. So Hey, hey I got to tell, <laughs> tell you good news, good news. In my church, you know what the quorum is? Whoever shows up. Oh, it's so beautiful. So I beautiful. need to do a so, constitutional amendment that will allow it to be that way here. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if that's a Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, a uniform constitution piece, or if that's just our own uh, customized bylaws. Off the top of my head, right now, I don't know, but but I love that. I love that. So let's get back to you, Scott. Why you are not lonely? You've got this group of people that are in your Lutheran uh, group. Do you have other pastors or other close friends that you connect with who aren't a part of that? What other groups are you you connected with? Um, Now, there is there is one other congregation here within my community. It's a small community of Christ Church. um, And there is there's a minister that that helps guide that. Interestingly enough, 
um, th- her daughter lives right across the street from me. So I see her with a fair bit of regularity and it's a town of a thousand people. So I'm going to see her anyway. But, uh, but we, we have worked together on, in certain things like we do, um, oftentimes the, the spring, uh, senior baccalaureate at the high school. We've, we've worked on that together. And, and there's also, there's, there's a, uh, a Catholic priest that lives one community over, you know, he lives seven minutes away and, and he and I, um, will, will get together and, and communicate on things. So I'm connected with, with a number of, of ministry folks. Um, I'm also fortunate that my wife is in ministry and, uh, and brings that insight, uh, in, into our conversation. So that's a blessing as well. And, uh, and yet I also have friend groups that are outside of ministry, that have no connection to ministry whatsoever. And, and I think that's important as well, that we don't just s- stick our proverbial head in the sand of being surrounded by only people who think the same way I do or do the same type of thing I do. Now, that's a good thing to have, but it's also good to have the perspective and the friendship and the connection with folks who have nothing to do with the church. You sound like some kind of a radical, though, because you're pushing everybody's buttons. You're talking about like a woman preacher. Then you're talking about fellowship with a Catholic priest. Then you're talking about her, your, how your wife is in ministry. So she's probably some kind of a pastor or something. And so I just want to remind our listeners that this podcast is for pastors and spiritual leaders of congregations. And it doesn't matter what denomination and it doesn't matter what gender because, you know, we could, <laughs> my, my grandson, when his little sister was born, I remember being in the hospital room and my daughter-in-law was in the bed and she was holding the little baby, right? The little baby sister. And my grandson knocks, he comes in and he was all of like uh, two years and maybe a month or two old. And he looked over and he saw this little pound of flesh in my daughter-in-law's hands and he just squeezed his eyes shut and he just kind of walked the other way with his eyes just squeezed shut. And he just thought if he would squeeze his eyes shut enough, they would they wouldn't be she wouldn't be there and she would be disappeared. And every time they tried to show his little sister to him, he would just squeeze his eyes shut. And and sometimes I think that, you know, some of us religious leaders are like that. If somebody's doing something that's different than we would do or something we don't think people should do, we just squeeze our eyes shut and hope that, you know, it doesn't exist. But there are a lot of women pastors in the United States and around the world, and there are a lot of Catholic priests. Uh, there are there's just a lot of spiritual leaders. We want to speak into their lives uh, on our podcast. We want to encourage them, and and we'll let God decide where I'm wrong and what issues I have. Because really, we look in the mirror. That's the person who's got the issues. And we just we just have to take care of, what did Jesus say, right? The, the two by four in our own eye and not, not worry about other people. So I, I have gotten to know uh, uh, people that lead all kinds of different denominations. I used to have one a long time ago that I would always cite. I think it was a, I think a female rabbi in New Hampshire. And she had written a note to us that was so kind and so encouraging. And I think she was telling me at the time, this was a long time ago now, this was in 2014 when my son was in a terrible accident, that that 
that her congregation, her synagogue, was saying prayers for my son's health. And that just, you know, if you know me, it just got me right there. And I was just, I was so thankful. And it was such a loving thing for her to do, to reach out like that. So, Scott, you talked about women pastors and Catholic priests, and I wanted to affirm that and just say that as a podcast, we want we want to give ministry encouragement to ministry leaders. Uh, so tell me, tell me more. Tell me more about this text group. Is this only on Zoom, or do you actually get together in person? And how does everybody have input, and how much time do you spend going over the texts for the week? Well, we predominantly we do meet in person. Uh, we did have a we kind of played around with trying to meet on Zoom, um, you know, back there in the early days of of uh, of twenty twenty. Um, when when connection was just really difficult. But um, this is a group, at least from my experience, that works best in person. And, you know, that's not to disparage online work or online connection, um, th- but there are certain things where that online works better and there are certain things where in-person works better, um, which tangent, I think, is an important lesson for us to learn within ministry that it's not one or the other, that they are both tools that are important for us to connect with in both ways. Okay, I'll jump back down off that soapbox now. But um, but this group meets in person. Um, we usually are, are meeting for roughly an hour to an hour and a half uh, and um, where we're engaging with the text and talking about it. And, and we all kind of bring our own unique perspectives and our own unique knowledge and, and, and experience and situations from within our own congregations. That we're do you, do you think that you help each other produce a better product on the weekend at each of your churches for the most part? I believe so. Yes. Um, I know that it is, it is always helpful for, for me and it, it enlightens you know, thoughts and perspectives that I hadn't even considered uh, as as I go into the text, and and I think that's that's important for us. Um, as the farther I've gotten into ministry, as I've gotten farther and farther away from my start date back in 2013, is uh, that I, I tend to fall into the trap that I think a lot of a lot of ministry people do where we're thinking about this stuff a lot. We're thinking about this stuff all the time. We're mm-hmm. we're engaging with the scripture to get ready for that message or to get ready for the class that we're going to teach or, or the conversations that we're going to have. Um, but not everybody's always doing that. So, um, so this group helps me to turn the Scott brain off and to start hearing this text or reading this text through the eyes of another person. And... Um, and I think that's so vital, uh, you know, that, that, that we, we always talk about how the body of Christ is one body with many members, um, mm-hmm. many perspectives, many experiences, many situations, even like we, you, you were talking a moment ago with different denominations and different, different faith organizations and, and all of these things kind of apply the same way. So, uh, so that group is, is wonderful, both from a collegiality standpoint and also from a gaining insight into a, a message that I'm trying to prepare uh, to hopefully uh, give a good a word of good news to the congregation that I'm preaching to. That's awesome. So, Scott, you talked or we talked earlier about your connection uh, to Johnny and I, 
Uh, obviously, it's through the podcast. When did you say you started in 2013? Uh, I started what in month? Uh, July. So in a July. few months after you guys had okay. started. Yeah, so it's. I think we. I think we started the podcast just for you, so that we would be up and running when you got to your church, and you. I mean, you started listening to us. What your first year, maybe pretty uh, early ministry? on. Yeah I, yeah, I think it was. It was probably. I'm trying to remember back. I think you and I have talked about this before. It was probably sometime in about 2014 that I stumbled across the podcast somehow. And okay. realized, oh, the, these guys are only like two hours away from me. They're actually yeah. pretty close and, and started listening. And I think you did. I think you started it just for me knowing that one day Johnny would not be available and that you would have to call me in. Scott, this is your day. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is that it. day. <laughs> How lucky you are. You are filling the Johnny Craig chair of podcasting. Hey, I just drove, I just drove by your place because when I left Omaha the other day, I came from, I came across on 80, right? I usually go up and I take 880 and go around the North side, but this time I came down below. And so I went right past Underwood and uh, thought about you and was what my face was set like a flint to the east, and I just had to keep the pedal down. Um, but you, you know, you're one of the you're one of the people that we never would have met uh, had we not started a podcast. And honestly, uh, it's been good these past eight months to not think about spending three, four, five, six hours every week on a podcast. But I have really missed the connection with other people. So I just want to say to our listeners, I don't know what it is that you do, or maybe you did that connected you with other pastors or friends that somehow we got, we got cocooned right in 2020. And and maybe we haven't fully jumped out of it because you said earlier, you know, well, we've got books to read. We've got, you know, sermons to prepare for. We've got, Hey, that is true. Honestly, uh, truth that the, the list is endless to our listeners um, pay attention to your relational uh, health with other people and to your relational time and with who you're spending your time with you know we we all hear it but we get busy we get distracted and we get cocooned in our office or in our home uh, and we all know that it, relationships are important and spending time refilling our tanks is important. I just want to encourage pastors, I want to encourage you, um, find other pastors that you can spend some time with. And, and Scott, give a word of encouragement on how to push yourself when you just, you, you do, you, you adopt this introverted approach and you get kind of locked in. How can they, give them something practical. How can they like get themselves out there just to make a connection that's going to be health giving. You know, the first thought that came to mind um, is something that I picked up as I've read and explored apps. And this is dumb. This doesn't this doesn't sound like it should apply, but I think it does. The, one of the keys to making something uh, maybe not popular, but to, to keep people engaged, is called gamify. Somehow make a game out of it. And that's mm. what keeps people coming back, especially when their ad revenue is because you're, you're clicking on things on, on, on your app. But I bring this up. Maybe you need to set yourself a goal of this week. 
I'm going to make five phone calls to to uh, to people who work in in other area churches, and you 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 put the the lists up on your whiteboard, and, and you've got your five things that are just waiting to be checked off, and, and you make a game out of it, and somehow just challenging yourself, um, finding a way to get yourself motivated uh, to take that first step. Um, so often that first step is the scary one and it's easy and it's safe just to stay in the cocoon like you called it a moment ago. But, uh, but to, to give yourself that challenge um, and, and then to be, to just be curious. I think when we're meeting new people or when we're, even if it's someone that maybe we know but we don't know very well, to be naturally curious. Um, the, the, the world is a wonderful place. People are amazing if we just push a little bit and and dig and and are are, are curious about them and and uh, and sometimes we find that's reciprocated as well and and new relationships form and and um, and it's just a wonderful thing uh, to to be in relationship with one another so so uh, all you pastors and ministry type folks out there if you're feeling stuck make a game out of it because um, uh, and, and and I want Jeff to hear from you how many of you got your five people called? <laughs> yeah. Jeff at 200churches.com. That's that's the uh, email address right there. Hey, Scott, if Johnny's not available and I have a guest that I need to interview, would you be willing, if your schedule permitted it, to sit in the Johnny Craig chair of podcasting to help yeah. me interview a guest? Absolutely. I would be honored and delighted and and may even text Johnny just to give him a little bit of grief if uh, if he can't be there. But anytime, anytime. Just to get his goat? Yes. I think All he right. will appreciate that. Or he won't, in which case he won't respond to me. He's fine. He's fine. Hey, for those of you who know Johnny, uh, he is in um, Waterloo, Iowa in a three-story home, 5,000 square feet, this old mansion with a beautiful family with four kids, and he's busy renovating, spending time with the family, pastoring a digital congregation that's all around the central Iowa area, and then traveling uh, two hours to his church to preach in person uh, about once a month. So uh, he, he's a busy guy, and uh, we, will, we will definitely... We'll hear from him uh, pretty quick. But I wanted to get this thing going. I wanted to get this show back on the road. So, Scott, thanks for joining me today. And uh, we'll have you on again very soon. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode of the 200 Churches Podcast.